Hello, welcome back to Sex, Drugs, and the Epigenome. I have an interesting episode for you today. We actually have a special presentation on a video that we just finished. And while we were in the edit room, it was this, holy smokes, this thing is amazing. Uh, Internally, we started calling it Codename the intro to everything because it truly was and became this this intro that we could use not only to sell you their medicine, the practice of it, uh, what when Dr. Seeds trains other practitioners, but also the approach he uses for his patients and really the approach that you should look at if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever, and you want to restore the former gusto of your 20s, the energy, the brain power, the good sleep, the ability, the strength, (laughs) all these things. Uh, One caveat, I do recommend that you watch this on the YouTube channel because in the edits, we popped in a bunch of definitions, additional footage, um, supplemental materials, really advancing what it is that Dr. Seeds is saying so that you can grasp on to all those pearls. Um, so I highly recommend if you're going to watch something on YouTube, this is the one to watch. So please check it out there. I hope you enjoy this episode because it to me was, it gave me so many aha moments. Um, and after watching Dr. Seeds for years now, I think this is the one that's going to do it not just for our practitioners out there, but for the general public like me, who's really just taking all of this knowledge and applying it to your daily life. Hope you enjoy. Any questions, please email info at seeds.md. Thank you. Hello everyone, I'm Dr. William Seeds. And I'm here to talk to you about what I think are some of the most exciting breakthroughs in regenerative medicine and anti-aging that are part of today's story and tomorrow's story. This is the future, I think, of this platform of regenerative medicine and anti-aging that I call and refer to as cellular medicine. It's all about signaling. And I hope to just give you some of the enthusiasm that I have every day in spending time in looking and evaluating and how I can get this message to you, to my patients, to show the relevance of controlling or influencing cellular function at a level that makes a difference. At a level of where we can give the cell, its own mechanisms to control the process of all of these aspects of what happens when we lose cell efficiency, when we lose that, what I call the redox of the cell. And I'm taking you down this path because this is just the beginning, just the beginning of letting, opening this window to show you the significance of cell signaling and how it influences some of the more common hormones that you know about, like growth hormone and IGF-1, 
which are referred to, you know, growth hormone is the master hormone. And if I can bring some relevance into the aspect of signaling and growth hormone and put a little story together in a picture to bring you to this place, not to convince you, but to show you that there is absolutely a process and science behind why the cell loses efficiency, why the cell loses metabolic flexibility, and how can we revive that cell? How can we bring these things back to effectively work on management in disease states where cell efficiency goes wrong and actually when aging occurs? Because aging is all about the loss of cell efficiency. I hope by showing you some initial aspects of why inflammation is present in a cell, the relevance of how that inflammation is controlled, and then that effect it has on the cell, and then carry you through this process of cell signaling to potentially influence changes that are beneficial for the cell. And that's what we're gonna do today. We're just gonna take a quick run. I hope to get you excited. I hope to give you that passion that I have every day in sending this message everywhere I can. So join me here for just a little bit, stick with me, and, and we're gonna make some sense of this. So the future of these breakthroughs in medicine, uh, aging and cellular medicine, are definitely everything to do about understanding the cell at the molecular level. And there's no reason that we all can't do that. I, I hope, you know, I hope I make this point clear. My job has always been to make a lot of this information relevant and simple because it can be, and it can be understood. And it's all about putting that story together that makes sense to you, that sticks in your brain so that you start to build this platform of information that you build from to make relevance out of this early process of understanding the cell. And, and then it, it becomes amazing where you can go with this. And when you start reading the literature and what you can draw from the literature and how that grows and it, it becomes infectious. So that process in understanding the molecular level of the cell is all about this aspect of giving the cell its ability to utilize its own intelligence. It's got its genetic code. It's got the capability of doing some things that we're not even aware of yet and how it controls these mechanisms. But we absolutely know some of the signaling pathways that are important in improving things that, that I'll get to here in a minute about cell redox or controlling inflammation or controlling reactive oxygen species that have everything to do with about a cell going bad. And that leads us to cell senescence, when a cell goes bad. So the intelligence of the cell is kind of keep controlling that cell, giving it the ability to live every day without really having many problems. You know, it's the yin and yang of keeping that cell together. But if it can't do it, the process goes into a place where cellular senescence takes over. And that term, what does senescence mean? Senescence is all about a cell that goes to the dark side, basically. It, 
it, over, it, it becomes a pro-inflammatory process that does not, that is not forgiving and leads to dis, dis, destruction and mayhem in the environment it, the cell exists. And the, basically how that happens is just the process starts where messaging goes wrong basically. And, and we'll, we'll actually kind of bring that together in just talking about growth hormone and IGF-1 and, and relate that to aging and how we lose our own endogenous growth hormone production. We lose the ability to produce through secondary downstream pathways IGF-1 to the capability of controlling cell efficiency. And if we lose that capability, we hence have problems with senescence. So think of senescence as a bad thing where a cell just stops dividing, it can't take care of itself, it can't clean itself up like through autophagy or mitophagy, which are kind of cleaning aspects of a cell to make it better and more efficient. So it loses those efficiencies, it stops dividing, and it just goes into a different programmed it becomes a different phenotype that's called a senescence-associated secretory phenotype. And that's a, that's a SASP. Um, and then it becomes a problem. And so we're, we're kind of going to talk about some issues of how we have some ways of dealing with senescence. And as you know, in, in regenerative medicine, senescence is the rave. It's, it's what you're hearing all over the internet and in and, and articles on using certain supplements to you know go after cellular senescence and it's all about I think being precise and specific in how you progress through deal with senescence and the bottom line comes to can you delay senescence or can you get rid of a senescent cell it's your best arsenal to deal with cellular senescence in removing a bad cell, right? Well, that kind of goes the wrong way also when these issues happen with reducing uh, endogenous growth hormone production or IGF-1. Uh, those are some initial things that lead to the potential of increased cellular senescence. And again, I'm just picking out a couple of these because you're the most familiar with them, but there's, there's a lot more to this story but if we start with this, this is how we build our platform. And this is just the beginning. And I think I can get you excited enough about this that you're gonna to wanna to dive deeper. So, in, so, so by understanding the intelligence of a cell has everything to do with efficiency and flexibility of the cell to maintain stability of, this, of the environment, cellular environment, we lose that capability we progress to potentially cell senescence that leads to bad things and leads to inflammatory processes that lead to increased oxidative states that lead to problems with advanced aging, with problems with diabetes, glaucoma, osteoporosis, cataracts, uh, um, uh, uh, inflammatory bowel disease, dementia. Um, you can just go on and on because it's, it's all relevant to the cellular senescence. Well, and then we get to hormesis. And, and hormesis, the reason I have that here as a, as a defining part of this 
cellular medicine is hormesis is, is doing something basically, I like to look at it like this. It's controlling mechanisms and signaling by not doing too much, but just enough that is efficient. And because if you do too much, it becomes toxic and dangerous. That's the best way to look at hormesis because this makes sense. And I'm going to just jump into it right now. There's a lot of us that have heard or even are practicing potentially using exogenous growth hormone. And I'm going to state right here and now that exogenous growth hormone is the wrong pathway to go in trying to replace what you naturally lose during aging or disease um, or, or other processes that could cause the loss of your endogenous production. Synthetic growth hormone is not the right path because it actually does not correct hormesis and in fact it leads to cellular senescence and it leads to loss of this intelligent cell. And it really comes down to you're, you're constantly giving growth hormone, it's giving constant signaling. It's, it's never turned off. There's no negative feedback. And, and I'll get into this in a second, but I, I just want you to hold these terms in your head. By doing so, it creates problems. In the short run, sure, it, it, can, it can cause some advantageous changes that initially will occur with growth hormone. But in the end, you lose these mechanisms. And that leads to problems with premature aging, premature senescence, and loss of cellular intelligence. And it, it comes down to that. And the science is pretty clear with that. So with that relevance, doesn't it make sense that if we're having issues with losing growth hormone as we age, um, basically at the age of 30, we start losing growth hormone by the time we're 50, it may be half of what we produced when we were 30, but the pituitary, the anterior pituitary has the capability and the machinery to produce the same amount of growth hormone as you did in your, your 20s and your 30s. It just loses some of that signaling and mechanisms due to the process of aging, some loss of intelligence, some increase in senescence, and efficiencies. And this is all about talking about bringing back those efficiencies. And if you can endogenously release your own growth hormone and bring that back, you can actually change this scenario. You can bring back intelligence, you can reduce senescence, and you can improve or you can bring hormesis into the correct adaptive state, meaning just enough being produced, meaning growth hormone, that does its job because why? You're right, because it's physiologic. That's what this is about. It's about taking advantage of physiology that is normal. It's not about making something a lot of something or a little too less of something. It's about just physiologic because that's what we're looking for. That's what the cell wants. So cellular senescence, I think I've defined what cellular senescence is. It's basically a cell that stops dividing, doesn't want to play anymore, doesn't want to use that genome that it was given and it loses its control and it stops dividing, it can't clean itself up and it starts producing pro-inflammatory agents 
interleukin-1 beta, interleukin-6, tumor necrosis factor alpha, all of these interesting cytokines and chemokines and proteases that are not good in that environment. And why is that significant? Because that's what leads to inefficiency in the cell. And I'm going to build the case that efficiency in the cell is all about improving cellular redox, meaning controlling oxidation and reduction. And really what that is, it really comes down to, it's this simple. It's taking some energy source into the body and converting that into energy in the cell and doing it well without creating too much inflammation. It's that, it's that simple. That's, that's what redox is. It's about how do I transfer energy out of that stake into ATP in a cell. So then why is this all significant? Well, it's all about controlling inflammation. If we can control inflammation, we can potentially delay senescence. And, and let me back up and tell you, not to confuse you, but senescence is also necessary in life. We need senescent cells because we need cells to be able to create some inflammatory states and, and it, especially in tissue healing, in injuries, you need, some mechanisms need to stop. You need to stop cellular proliferation. So, so there are reasons for senescence, but for the most part, I'm kind of presenting cellular senescence and how we know it is a, a problem in disease and um, in aging and so forth. And, and it's all about, again, defining and controlling inflammation. And this is defined by cellular redox. And again, it's about oxidation and reduction. It's about transfer of electrons. It's about really making ATP, which is energy. So we could go through the mechanisms and we'll go through some of them, but they'll make sense to some degree. It's again, just that basic premise of some kind of substrate I put in my body, whether it's a fat, whether it's glucose, carbohydrate, or it's a protein, I'm all going to, I'm going to be able to convert all of those into some form of energy at the very end of the stream, which is ATP. It's all about ATP and ATP used in millions of reactions and what ATP, what, how ATP is necessary as an energy source uh, for the cell. And depending on the demands of the cell, you know, what cell type it is, where it is, all of those things are important. Well, this cellular redox is, I believe, in my mind, is the, is the essence of understanding this senescence and aging. And it really is the base and the foundation of where I feel cellular medicine is the absolute breakthrough in anti-aging and regenerative medicine from today, actually from 10 years ago, and beyond. This is where we're going. You, you can look at this and go, well, I don't know, I don't know if I should jump in, I don't know where to be. It's time to jump in. Because it's only gonna get more exciting for you with the more that this makes sense. And that's, if I'm not doing my job today when I'm done with this and I didn't make sense of some really amazing information, then 
I'm going to tell you, then this is, then I'm on the wrong track. So, so I'm putting the heat on myself right now. Okay. So we're talking about controlling inflammation by controlling inflammation. We're delaying or controlling senescence because with that we're affecting how we age in the way I practice. I'm not here to tell you you're going to live to 120 or 140, but I'm going to tell you that the genetic code that you have and where you have the potential of living to, I want to optimize every one of those days for you. And I think that's possible. I do it. I live it. And I'm, I'm an old guy, but I think I'm young. I'm at 60, I'm, I'm 60 years old, about 60 years old. I'm not going to give my date away because everybody thought my birthday was before. I'm not telling anybody. But listen, I am stronger. I am smarter. I am faster. I am wiser. I have more energy than I did when I was 20, when I was 30, when I was 40, when I was 50, and now 60. Are you kidding? I'm looking at 70, 80, 90. I don't, sky's the limit. I'm going for it because I'm having a blast. I'm having, it's, it's the most exciting time in my life where I can just keep pushing my brain. I can keep pushing my envelope. I don't know what the limits are. I don't want to, I'm not going to sit and try to think about where they end because I don't think there are any. And that's what makes it so exciting. With all of this, with a combination of nutrition and exercise, as you'll hear from me in the future. Um, that's the name of the game. And I feel like I live it and walk it and breathe it, and I represent it. So that's why I'm bringing this to you because I don't just want to influence you and in what you do with your patients. I want to influence you. I want you to own this. I want you to be part of this journey with me. I want this to change your world because if it changes your world, just think of what you're going to do with every patient that walks in your room. Think of the effect you're going to have on every patient because you're walking the talk. It's, I, I, I can't tell you how electrifying that is. I can't tell you that. But I can tell you, you can experience it and you can share that. And that's a gift. That's a humbling gift to do that. So this is why this is so important because we are at a stage where we have these signaling agents that make a difference now. Not that potentially do this, not that possibly these signaling agents make a difference in how I can improve cellular efficiency, metabolic flexibility, and function of the cell. That's a huge statement, but it's true. It's true and I get the pleasure and I get the privilege to do that every day and share that with my patients. And most humbling is I get to do it with myself and there are no limits where we go with this. So these signaling agents, peptides, are what we're going to kind of introduce you to this world of these are amino acids that are joined together by peptide bonds and they can be long chain, short chain, circular, helical, just depending on the mechanism of where these cells have to go, the environment they need to be in, 
all of those role, all of those structures play a role in how that peptide functions. And these peptides, when I say a peptide, I'm talking about when we reference these signaling agents, we're referencing signaling agents that you make in your body. Peptides are hormones, they're enzymes, they're ligands, they're receptors. They're all of those. They're amino acids that are in chains or in different conformations that have everything to do with cell signaling. So if we understand some of these pathways of how a cell loses efficiency and we know some of these peptides that influence these signaling pathways, well then we've got a blueprint to start from. We've got a blueprint that makes sense. We've got a process that logically we can discuss amongst ourselves and with our patients to show them where we're trying to go and what we're trying to do. And that's why we can use these type of signaling agents to improve efficiency, to optimize mitochondria, to protect efficiency, to maintain flexibility, and to assist in autophagy and mitophagy and programmed apoptosis. And what's programmed apoptosis? It means when a cell goes through its normal cycle and dies without creating an immune inflammatory response. That's what we want. So all of this comes together if we know how to approach it. And we've all been there. We're all trying to do that right now. I mean, you're doing it with exercise. You're doing it with diet. You're doing it with supplements. You're trying, but you're, we're just not quite there. We need more specificity. We need more penetration. We need more of what the cell wants to recognize. That's a key point. What the cell is familiar with as far as the signaling agent. So I think this will make more sense as we get into and use growth hormone as this example. So through peptides, we're, again, our goal is delaying senescence and restoring cellular efficiency, basically, to bring back that vitalization of the cell, give you that life, whether you're healthy, if you're ill, and you have disease, then it's trying to reverse disease, it's trying to improve disease states, and it all has to do with maintaining these nucleotide cofactor ratios. I know, big words, nucleotide cofactor ratios, thermodynamics of these nucleotide cofactors are all of the things you'll see in papers that you read, but, but basically it comes down to this. It's all about NAD and really NADPH and ATP. You've got these ratios. We'll get into great detail with the relevance of these things, but it's really NAD that NAD is this, it's an energy source that's really, it's about transferring energy. NAD is kind of that thing that, where that stake starts, let's say, uh, or let's say that, that glucose molecule that eventually comes out of the sweet potatoes or whatever you eat. It's that glucose molecule that has to do what? It has to get in the cell and it has to go through these pathways to produce ATP. And you know these terms. It's called glycolysis. It's called 
uh, Krebs cycle. It's called oxidative phosphorylation or electron transport. It's basically those mechanisms that NAD is so important for, and you kind of consider it, it's, it's considered like a coenzyme, something that is, it, it's going to help catalyze, catalyze uh, uh, it's going to be a catalyst to making this stuff happen. Because if you don't have this NAD, that's not going to happen. So that's why it's so important. And you guys know it more like you, you know, you hear about IV, let's give IV NAD or let's take a, let's take a supplement like NR or NMN, NMN, um, I'm sorry, um, as an oral supplement to try to reboot NAD. Well, there's a lot more to that. And I'm not going to jump into that process other than to tell you, what if I told you it's maybe more important to work on the cell efficiency to have your cell improving its own NAD, because it can, and these ratios, right? So again, I threw a lot at you with this, but the, I just want you to get this concept that NAD is this important important enzyme, coenzyme, or source of energy that has to transfer energy, basically. It's all about transferring energy. And what happens is NAD is then this source that is created um, initially to, to push these processes through and to make, eventually get to ATP. And that's, that's just the, that's the raw sense of it. And that makes sense. You need NAD to make ATP. Well, if we look at the other side of this, this ratio, this NADPH, we can look at as a very powerful reducing agent. And its biggest job, I think, is in controlling redox by acting as, it's a reducing agent that basically makes glutathione work, superoxide desmatase work, catalase, all of your antioxidants. It's all about being able to reduce them, to make them efficient, to make them be able to go through cycles. It's, it's, it's you, you give, so you guys, uh, as a group, we've been trained to give some of these antioxidants, like glutathione, say. We're giving glutathione in its reduced form so that it can, again, take care of transferring electrons. It, it can take electrons away from something bad. And it's a, it goes out and it scavenges. It, it removes free radicals. It does that kind of thing. Well, NADPH is actually, because we make our own glutathione, we make all of these, our own antioxidants, we transcribe these. And they're there to go through cycles to keep working. Well, NADPH is what is there to reduce them. They're reducing agents to keep them going, to transfer these electrons. Same thing works with vitamin C and vitamin E and lipoic acid. It, it's that important. Without NADPH, we can't exist. So think of it as this incredible other side of the picture. On one side of the picture, we're making energy. 
we're causing the process to occur where that glucose goes in the mouth and makes this product of ATP. Well, with that, we know we're going to create some reactive oxygen species. We know things can go wrong. We know we can make some mechanisms of these free radicals that can potentially cause problems. Well, on the other side of the table, we're also making NADPH that is helping us in working on this antioxidant system to quell, to quelch this problem of these free radicals and uh, reactive oxygen species. It that's it. It comes down to that, those two working together. And that is what all of these nucleotide cofactors and their thermodynamic ratios, just meaning you get them in the right ratios that, are, that work to the metabolic advantage of the cell. This is the key to everything. That's, that's my belief. And that's, that's the beginning and the end of understanding cellular medicine. And this is where we, we go every, every day we talk about something, every topic we talk about something. It has everything to do with understanding these mechanisms better and better and better. And that, that's where I take you through all kinds of ways of looking at this in understanding this because that's what has to be done. Um, but ultimately, we need these working together to maintain redox in the cell, to control inflammation, restore cell efficiency, and delay senescence or control senescence. So going along these lines more of understanding that we have signaling agents that we can potentially look at in helping us in delaying senescence and restoring efficiency, we've, got, we've, we've brought up these nucleotide cofactors, these ratios. We, I, I kind of emphasize NAD and NADPH and their importance. One's making energy, ATP, kind of, that's what it leads to. It's driving glycolysis, it's driving the Krebs cycle or um, the TCA cycle. I like Krebs um, because I'm from that camp um, and because that really is what it is. Uh, and oxidative phosphorylation and ATP or NADPH that's the antioxidant side, right? Calming, calming the storm while you're creating energy. Kind of makes sense. It's like a, it's like a Porsche or a car that's got to be it's got to be at its most efficient state when it, you're going at 150 miles an hour. That engine can't get too hot because if it gets too hot, what happens? You start losing control of that engine loses its ability to be efficient. So that's all about NADPH. It's the, it's the cooler. It's keeping things cool. So then we can bring up some of these other factors. Uh, P53, the CERT genes and the FOX genes. Bottom line with these is P53 is the master regulator, regulator of um, basically of, of, of controlling cellular metabolism. And it's a gene transcription process. It's a tr transcription gene that uh, transcribes P53 that is basically trying to prevent cells from becoming cancerous. It's your one, it's your ultimate mechanism of controlling cancer. And we only have one of those genes, all right? 
elephants have like 22 of those genes. Elephants don't get cancer. We do. It's because we only got one of those. So we have to optimize it. We have to respect it. We have to understand its master control. It is the master control of pretty much metabolism. Uh, and it's, its basic function is to, it, it's to, to effectively stop cells from converting into to tumor cells. The CERT genes are longevity genes and they work together with P53 and they're all about also controlling inflammation and utilizing that energy source of NAD to become that powerful player. So the CERT gene needs P53, P53 needs the CERT gene, the transcription protein, and the FOXO genes, FOXO, FOXO3A, Fox, all of FOX genes are all relevant to also controlling the antioxidant system. They're, they're really important in that mechanism of in, improving cellular re, resilience and improving uh, the, uh, the antioxidant aspects of the cell. Um, so it's, you can consider that all cell survival in the right way. And those are generic ways of looking at this. Um, but they're all very important because they play a role in what we're trying to do in restoring cell efficiency. And we have ways to work with improving uh, the, the, the ability of P53 to control cellular redox, to control tumor conversion, to control cellular senescence. Because P53 is the master regulator of the cell and controlling senescence, basically. It, it, kind, of, it kind of actually controls all the mechanisms of senescence, um, autophagy, mitophagy, apoptosis, and, uh, and, and cellular progression, and control of redox. So it, it is the master of, of all of those processes. So by understanding that, we can understand then why timing and influence is so important in senescence. And again, it's mitigating or influencing those things that want to change that cellular genomic messaging. Genomic messaging by transcribing the proteins or the enzymes or what is necessary for that cell to function efficiently and correctly. Well, if something changes that, like the environment, like UV radiation or um, bad nutrition or a virus um, or not enough exercise or too much exercise, those are epigenetic influences. They can, epigenetics is all about how environment basically can influence the cell in changing its transcription without changing the genome. There is a phenotypical change that occurs. And all that means, I said a lot of words, all I mean by that is that when, is, is that the cell, when the phenotype changes, it means the cell just doesn't follow the genetic code and it goes another, it goes another way. And usually it's not a good way. And that's kind of what happens with cellular senescence. Remember what I said, SASP, secretory associated 
or senescence-associated secretory phenotype. It's when it turns that corner and stops dividing and starts making the bad stuff that it enters into, into that phase of a phenotypical change. But again, our whole goal here is to make all of this work together in signaling. And that's where this gets excited because we can reverse epigenetic influences. Genomics, we cannot reverse. But it's typically the epigenetic influences that cause these phenotype changes that influence bad transcription in the cell. It's all about reversing the epigenome. That's a powerful statement again. But this is, where, this is how it all comes together. This is what makes this so, I think, just such a game changer that we can talk like this and we can have these discussions because we're doing this. So, what are peptides? As I discussed, they're amino acid sequences uh, that can vary in size. And the most well-known that I can describe to everybody in the world is insulin. It's a peptide. Yes, insulin. Changed the world, right? Peptide signaling agent changed the world. 1923, commercially available. Changed the world for diabetes. Whoa, that's a big statement. That's a peptide. It's a signaling agent. It was the beginning. It was the beginning of understanding, hey, we've got some ways to change mechanisms. We've got a way to go. And then we developed the uh, uh, recombinant drug. This was from an extract in 23 and 82. It was recombinantly reproduced. And it changed the world. It changed the world. And what's really interesting about this is I'm, not, I, I'm gonna just throw this at you now because I think it's just exciting to talk about it. When we give insulin, we believed, we believed, but not anymore, that, okay, we're gonna correct glucose utilization, we're gonna make the body handle glucose better, and their glucose levels are gonna go down, and we're gonna make them healthier because we got that number. We got that number, that glucose in that, in that range we want, we're gonna help those patients. Well, remember, when these patients get to that state, they've gone through a phenotypical change. Their genome has changed, the phenotype has changed, the epigenetic influence, whether it's uh, autoimmune or it's overeating, has changed the phenotype. Just by giving insulin, we are controlling the mechanism, but we're not changing it. But we have ways with peptides to actually take those steps to change the mechanisms, to improve the beta cell in the pancreas. That's a powerful statement, but what do you think is happening right now with GLP-1 receptor agonists? You see them all over the, uh, all over the advertisement now. They're, they're everywhere. They, they blanket the news. It's really pretty bad <laughs> that they can influence the public like that. But peptides, th this is the beginning. This is the beginning of a change in processes that the public will become more aware of. But it started in 1923. And here's the relevance. This plays a big role, I think, in understanding where we are and where we've come under with peptide discovery. and and. 
I've shown this slide for years and years because it's very relevant in indicating that this is where big pharma is going. This is where all research is going. It's going in cell signaling. The realization is, again, why are we trying to do things to change a cell when all we have to do is influence the cell, give its capability of signaling that it wants to, that, that is relevant in improving these efficiency and metabolism issues. That's what it comes down to. And now you see this huge surge in, in uh, clinical research of uh, peptides in therapies um, for different disease states. And oncology is leading the way with metabolic disease right behind and immunology, cardiovascular disease. Um, it's, all, it, it, it's all exploding. This is where it's at. This is where you all need to be. This is the future of medicine. It's cell signaling, cellular medicine. This should have been the wake-up call when this came out. And it's really important here, I think, to understand that it's much easier for Big Pharma to take something that is already inherent in the cell. You already know the mechanisms. You don't have to recreate the mechanisms. It's all about synthesizing the cell, the, this process of this peptide to mimic what we want it to do. Hence, these GLP-1 receptor agonists, which are all about uh, uh, diabetes right now and how they're influencing significantly a change in diabetes by not only controlling insulin resistance and improving glucose utilization, but actually working on improving efficiency, autophagy, mitophagy, cellular function, cellular metabolism. It's, it's actually happening. And we're changing that phenotype. We're reversing those epigenetic changes over time. That's what the, me that's the, what the mechanisms are leading to. And it's only going to get more refined. You know, GLP-1, just by the way, is something you make. You make that in your, in your gut. It's a, it's a neuroendocrine um, uh, cell that produces, the L cell produces this um, GLP-1 um, peptide. So we're, we're not recreating anything. Um, but anyways. That brings the relevance full circle. That's why this should be exciting because this is where all these changes are happening. And so you got a taste of that. I kind of brought in this, the, 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 the realm of understanding that it's all about cell signaling. It's, the relevance is here because Big Pharma is there and they're already going full guns on producing these amazing peptides that we're already utilizing. And it's my job to show you that there's even more power here than just focusing specifically in, in, in these areas. It's let, let's open the expansion of understanding this platform again and getting back to the relevance of growth hormone and what we can do to endogenously improve our own release. Why is that important? Why is that relevant? because it's the master hormone. It's, it's this hormone that has everything to do with 
beta oxidation of fatty acids, which is taking fatty acids and using them that you have in your body or breaking them down in food sources because it's the ultimate energy actually. It's the ultimate efficient energy and it's a cleaner source of energy. Um, and improving by using that and upregulating that process, we're also changing oxidative phosphorylation, which is all about making ATP. So we're doing things to just improve efficiency of making ATP again. And that has many consequences that are beneficial in the cell by changing these transcription factors like PGC1-alpha, PPAR gamma, that are all about making that cell more efficient. And these are topics that will, that transcription factors that'll come up and up over and over and over again. The importance here is that growth hormone harnesses that capability of affecting all of these factors. And by doing so, we kind of come full circle back to the stem cell, which is stem cell of the muscle, stem cell in the brain, stem cell around the endothelial cell, doesn't matter where the stem cell is, they're all there to be ready for repair in the body. If these stem cells aren't in a quiescent state, they're not functional. They're not gonna be ready to do their job of repair and assisting, assisting these cells in their normal function and in hormesis and homeostasis and delaying senescence. That's what it's all about. Well, this leads to all of these factors uh, by improving growth hormone endogenously that's physiologic and improving IGF-1 that's physiologic and by improving oxidative phosphorylation and improving um, oxidative phosphorylation and improving uh, beta oxidation of fatty acids, we're actually then upregulating and changing these transcription transcription factors like PGC1-alpha that are all about making that mitochondria, which is kind of that energy source of the cell, the most efficient it can be it, and, and multiplying those mitochondria. Because it comes back to, remember, the cell needs to use oxygen, needs to utilize NAD, needs to use those products to make ATP, wants to do it the most efficient way it can, but it needs that mitochondria working at its optimal. And the more mitochondria you have in a cell, then the capabilities of that cell to handle more of those substrates to make more ATP for the cell becomes a bigger factor. And that's, what, that's how these things are involved. And PPR gamma is all about making oxidation of fat better and it has more to do with metabolism. But again, they all lead to improving uh, stem cell quiescence and activation. And this has everything to do again with physiologic levels of GH and IGF-1. So IGF-1 is the downstream process of growth hormone. So Every cell, just think of it this way, every, about every cell has a growth hormone receptor. And once growth hormone is taken into the cell, it's utilized through different receptors to start the transcription of IGF-1 or insulin growth factor 1. And there are many different insulin growth factors 
Um, but we're going to concentrate on IGF-1 because it's, it's more about proliferation. It's more about uh, improving cell apoptosis and cellular resistance and about cellular efficiency. But it's improving glucose utilization, repair, preventing uh, insulin resistance. It's all about brain neurogenesis and it's a maintenance of the hippocampal function for um, memory. It's consolidation and recall. So it plays a vital role in all of these fact, physiologic factors. And you, it's a downstream process of growth hormones. So if we're not making the amount of growth hormone we need, we're not physiologically producing the amount of IGF-1 we need. And IGF-1 is produced in the liver, but it's also pr produced in most cells also um, in, in local areas. Um, so there's a, there's, there is an effect with liver IGF-1, but we'll get into great detail about how actually cellular production of its own IGF-1 is really the most important and relevant factor for its what we call paracrine and autocrine effects, meaning local effects and intracellular effects it has in maintaining that cell efficiency. So these two together, they work on, so I'm kind of expanding the picture. I was working inside the cell with the NAD, NADPH stuff about redox and the, those are the thermonuclear cofactors that, that work on improving efficiency and then we expand it into transcription factors that are all about improving that efficiency through glycolysis and, ox and beta oxidation and um, electron transport or oxidative phosphorylation to make ATP. And then we talked more on a bigger function, uh, on a bigger level of IGF-1 and its specifics of improving glucose tolerance and stopping apoptosis, improving hippocampal neurogenesis and recall and, and, and squelching uh, senescence. And now let's look at it at a bigger scope. GH and IGF-1 are all about improving lean body mass, decreasing fat mass, and increasing bone density, and improving muscular efficiency, increasing lean mass. Whoa, that's pretty cool. We go from redox to things we know about, right? This is where it gets to be fun, because this is the essence of how we start looking at disease, aging, and everything. Right? Aging is, what's aging? Aging is all about, we're losing muscle mass. We're getting sarcopenic. We're losing muscle mass. So you're telling me there's a way to stop losing muscle mass? Absolutely. And improve bone density? Absolutely. And decrease fat, right? Fat is a, is a bad actor. Fat leads to inflammation. Fat leads to a lot of things. Can we redistribute this fat? Well, didn't we just talk about improving and upregulating beta oxidation of fatty acids. Well, we're mobilizing tissue reserves and using them as a source of energy. We're redistributing energy. Remember what I said about energy and making ATP? That's the relevance here. And I just, that's the tip of the iceberg. I'm, I'm just kind of glazing through concepts, but I think you're getting the idea. So this leads me back to we're talking about efficiency. We're talking about endogenous use of your own growth hormone. We're, we're, we're trying to optimize that in a physiologic way. And then I bring you back to exogenous use of growth hormone. Like I led 
to, I led you down this road before. And its growth hormone itself is, is not a stimulator of growth hormone release. It, it actually, when you give growth hormone exogenously, it cuts off that feedback mechanism to shut off growth hormone. Because growth hormone is pulsed. It's anywhere from three to six, they say up to nine, but it's, it's typically anywhere from three to six pulses a day for most people. And as you get older, the pulsing gets less and the amplitude gets less and you start losing the ability to release growth hormone. In fact, one of the first places you lose that is where you're right in your sleep, the first stages of sleep. Um, and, and the bottom line with that is if we're giving growth hormone, we're just kind of shutting that whole process off of where there's negative feedback. There's just a constant bleed of growth hormone. And that just eventually leads to super physiologic increases in growth hormone and also can lead to super physiologic increases in IGF-1. And I'm just telling you, and this is the crux of what we do in cellular medicine, it's not about causing higher levels. It's all about maintaining physiologic levels because that's all we're looking for because that's where the cell functions its best. And with that, we know exogenous growth hormone continuously leads to more mTOR activation. And more mTOR activation is actually all about what controls cell senescence. A senescent cell is, in M is mTOR controlled. It's, it's meaning it's constantly on. It's constantly building. It's never turning on basically the autophagy you're familiar with and cleaning up the cell. It's just not happening. And there's loss of mitochondrial function, efficiency. We have loss of mitochondrial biogenesis. And you're losing important cytochromes. And really what happens is the nuclear mitochondrial communication gets shut down. The nucleus depends on the mitochondria to give its feedback so that they work together because they both have their own genomes together that work together in signaling and talking to make the cytochromes and proteins and so forth in oxidative phosphorylation that are so important in making ATP and reducing reactive oxygen species and producing more mitochondria with mitochondrial biogenesis. It's that important. Well, we lose that. The nucleus still functions. They're still signaling going to oxidative phosphorylation, but we're losing efficiencies and we get this kind of reverse function. We get a pseudo hypoxia. We get a, we get a reverse process of oxidative phosphorylation that's not efficient and eventually leads to premature senescence and things going bad. And that's, that's a fact. That's, that's science. And so, so what can we do to restore this process? Well, we've got these, we've got signaling agents, GHRHs, growth hormone uh, related hormone and growth hormone related peptides, which are called GHRHs and GHRPs um, that can restore growth hormone release to physiologic levels. They mimic pulsing. They can improve amplitude. When you use these together, it can release growth hormone like it needs to. And, and I'm just, again, touching on the process. We get into a lot more detail in other courses, but 
this is what happens when we use some of these signaling agents uh, like CJC and ipamorelin, which are typical GHRHs and GHRPs. And what, what this has tremendous influence on is, again, mimicking that endogenous pulsing. Um, and there's certain rules that have to be followed with nutrient timing when you use these, and those are things you learn with us. Those are things that we'll get into great detail in understanding timing and utilization to optimize the use of your own endogenous growth hormone. And this is just showing this, how all of the, the processes work together in releasing growth hormone. And really what it comes down to is you have this anterior pituitary that can release growth hormone for your entire life at normal levels. We just have things that work against releasing that growth hormone. With these peptides, we can control that release and we can schedule that release. And that's what changes the game. That's what changes from NAD all the way to ADP, all the way to cell efficiency, mitochondrial efficiency, and delaying senescence and improving efficiency of the cell. And this is just going through the cell signaling because we are familiar with what happens and it's all about improving intracellular calcium in that anterior pituitary cell through two different pathways um, that are relevant. And again, we get into great detail of understanding because it makes sense. We can make sense out of this now. And it's all about releasing growth hormone and what's even more interesting and more relevant is that these growth these peptides that we use, GHRHs and GHRPs, not only work in releasing growth hormone from the anterior pituitary, but they have pleiotrophic effects. They actually, we have receptors on cells that are GHRH receptors and GHRP receptors, meaning they go through other pathways of efficiency to improve cell function. That is amazing. And that's the game changer. And What's really, if, if I took a, a pituitary cell and I took a stem cell, I'd show you the same pathways exist with just GHRH and its influence on the stem cell and on the anterior pituitary. Whoa, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's showing you these survival pathways, these proliferation pathways, these antioxidant pathways. It, it doesn't stop, but it's the same. It's, and it's understanding that these activation pathways, the ERKs and the JAK-STAT pathways, have so much relevance in the manipulation of, of, of cellular function and activating proliferation of a stem cell or quiescence of a stem cell. Uh, and, and, and here's just even more relevance to this. It's like if I separated out one of those GHRPs and I said, okay, we're gonna increase growth hormone with it, but you know what else we're gonna do? We're gonna decrease fibrosis. If I take a cardio, if I take a, let's look at, a, at the heart and look at the cardiomyocyte and look at what we're trying to stop. We're just trying to stop fibrosis. Well, we can stop fibrosis. We're trying to improve ionotropism, contraction. Well, we can improve contraction. We wanna decrease inflammation. We can decrease inflammation. We want to improve anti-cell um, survival, we can do that. We want to improve vasodilatation. Well, we have these pathways through these signaling receptors, we can improve that. We can decrease endothelium, we can improve nitric oxide production. That's all about vascular, vascular response of a cell, of the, of the vessel in the heart or anywhere. This is, this is, this is it.
These are mechanisms we know, and we know that we're making these changes. That's what makes this so powerful, because it happens. These GHRHs and GHRPs are all about restoring this efficiency. They're optimizing this NAD, NADH pool. They're optimizing the NADPH. They're optimizing the FOX genes, the CERT genes, which are, remember, they're all working together with P53 to basically slow down senescence, improve antioxidants in the cell your own, and to improve resistance, cellular resistance, right? And improve uh, apoptosis. And you're blocking this nuclear transcription factor, this nuclear factor kappa beta, which is that main transcription factor that turns on this thing called the inflammasome that shoots these chemokines and cytokines and proteases like interleukin 1 beta, tumor necrosis factor alpha, interleukin 6, interleukin 18, um, interleukin 17, all these bad actors. Well, we can dampen that. We can control that. And that is, that's relevant here. And we can improve beta oxidation. We can improve TCA cycle. We can, choose, we can improve oxidative phosphorylation. We can improve PGC1-alpha. We can increase AMPK, the master regulator on the other side of improving. It's a cell sensor. It's all about improving cell function, AMPK we can affect AMPK. That's AMPK is, the, the way you know it is about exercise and fasting and calorie restriction, improving AMPK. Well, we're doing this also with going through controlling these mechanisms of, um, through GHRHs and GHRPs with the cell. We're improving the PPR gammas, we're improving the NFR1s and 2s, which are really these transcription factors that are all about antioxidants. And that's very important, and improving mitochondrial biogenesis with TFAM. So basically, you can bring this back to this issue of diabetes and, and insulin resistance, and what are we aiming for? We're trying to improve beta cell function, and just like I talked about the GLP-1 receptor agonist, their function is directly influencing the beta cells, improving autophagy, improving aspects of cellular efficiency, just like we're talking about improving cellular efficiency with these GHRHs and GHRPs in working synergistically also um, with oxidative stress, protein synthesis, mitochondrial biogenesis, and apoptosis. Lots of words here, but we're working on restoring these insulin receptors. We're working on restoring signaling. What are we doing? Changing the epigenetic influences. We're changing that phenotype. That's what we're trying to do. So we're alleviating glucotoxicity, lipotoxicity, excessive nitric oxide production, calcium depletion, and these oxidative cytokines from the endoplasmic reticulum stress that exists in these beta cells and, and these increased cytoplasm uh, of uh, calcium. And just think of this is what happens when you go and eat too much McDonald's. <laughs> That's the bottom line. <laughs> this is exactly what happens. I just, what I just said here is not that McDonald's, I'm not saying anything bad about McDonald's, I'm just saying you're eating too much. It's just an example. You could do the same thing and go eating too much. It's, it's too much food. 
it's over, it's over excessive. So McDonald's, I'm not on you there. I'm just saying, I know you, you guys go healthy. I like it. Okay, I'm with you. Uh, I'm just using that as an example. We're reducing glial inflammation because, and, and this is talking about autophagosomes and regulatory autophagy, which is all about neurodegenerative disease. So I've gone from the, I've gone from the pancreas to the brain real quick. Just to show you relevance here that this signaling is all the same. It's all about senescence. It's all about what goes wrong. It's leading to neuroinflammation. It's loss of redox. And those are the things we go through in our masterminds and in our uh, peptide fundamentals. Um, it's what we're trying to set you up to win. Why? Information is power. Don't ever forget that. Information is power. Works every day. So we can address this conversion of mTOR in cell senescence in what we call geoconversion by we're already doing it. I'm bringing another term. You're familiar with rapamycin or rapamycin-like analogs like sirolumis. This is what's, what, what we're using to kind of to stop this senescence or mTOR state and this progression that's called geoconversion to these senescent cells. So you're familiar, there are things like, the, like rapamycin. Well, we're doing the same, we're working on the same process with these peptides. And so understand this, this is where it gets really relevant, where you have multiple ways of going at improving autophagy, decreasing mTOR states, improving senescence by using different pathways to control these processes. That's very powerful. Again, information is power. So by delaying senescence with GHRPs, we're improving cell efficiency. We're direct, it's, it, besides the direct effect of, on growth hormone, it's the pleiotrophic effects. And that CD36 receptor is this integral part I showed you in that GHRP process. It was another receptor where we're decreasing fibrosis that's a late sequelae of senescent cells. Controlling fibrosis is a tremendous process to be able to even budge into and even change, right? Because that's where all these fatty liver disease and kidney disease and heart disease, they all lead to fibrosis. Hello, senescence. So reviewing all of this with GHRHs and GHRPs used effectively with appropriate timing and understanding of mechanisms and understanding regulation, we can endogenously release physiologic levels of growth hormone and IGF-1 to improve cell efficiency. That's a tremendous statement and it happens. And you can absolutely, that's, that's the platform we build from. Understanding these mechanisms will take you everywhere. And that's my job to make that work for you. And again, it's upregulating and activating these transcription factors to basically, end of the day, improve efficiency, make stem cells work like they're supposed to, to control senescence, and give that cell its ability to function with its own intelligence. And by upregulating these, we go through all of these processes, like I said in decreasing apoptosis, 
changing mitophagy, improving autophagy, decreasing senescence, um, improving intracellular cortisol, which we didn't even get into, but are other interesting mechanisms that are relevant. And again, improving the NADPH and improving the NAD. And I didn't even really jump into controlling the immune system here, but has everything to do with improving immune modulation. You don't upregulate the immune system. Don't listen to that garbage. You can't do that. That's a bad thing. But you can improve modulation because it's all about modulation. The yin and yang of the immune system, the innate and the adaptive system have to work together. It's a seesaw. And that's what this is all about. Whoa, right? Controlled inflammation controls anti-aging. It happens. We're doing it every day. The SSRP with cellular medicine. I want you all to just think about this. Come take the next step with me. Join this infectious group. Join this enthusiasm. Just take a dip. See where you go with this because I promise you, if you invest in this, this will change your life and this will change every patient's life.